This episode of At The Bar is recorded on the lands of the Ghana people and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm Jane Gretch and welcome to At The Bar, a podcast about running a dance studio, the highs, the lows and everything in between. As a dance studio owner, business coach, leadership expert, and the founder and author of Dance Step, a dance student teacher education program, my mission is to educate, encourage, and empower all I serve. Each week, I'll share a mixture of solo episodes and interviews, sharing ideas, hopefully making you smile, and reminding you that you are not alone. So, what are we waiting for? Join me at the bar. In today's conversation, I'm speaking with Caitlin Haig, Director of Bayside Dance in Brisbane, Queensland. Today's is a delightful conversation that covers Caitlin's research into talent development and how she has orchestrated growing a large studio while growing her young family. I know you'll get a lot from our chat, as I did. Caitlin's studio is also a Dance Step Partner Studio, and she shares a little bit about that experience also. If you want to join Caitlin in empowering students and growing leaders, then check out dancestep.com.au. Now, let's head over to the bar. Hello and welcome to the bar, Miss Caitlin, my good friend from Bayside Dance. It's so lovely to have you with me today. Thank you for having me, Miss Jane. I'm very excited. Oh, my pleasure. It's been, oh, you've been on my list for far too long. I will admit that. Um, now, Caitlin is the principal or director. What name do you, what fancy title I, do you I give say- yourself? Director is my fancy yes. title. <laughs> I just love it that we can give ourselves fancy titles. We can be, we can be whatever we want to be. So Caitlin is the director of Bayside Dance in Queensland. We've known each other for a good number of years now. And Caitlin was also a keynote speaker at the last exchange event, you know, back in, oh, it feels like 1984, but it really wasn't that long ago, but it was pre-COVID, um, where she was talking about talent development so um we we can talk Bayside dance as well but maybe just let's talk talent development a little bit I mean you've got just a little bit of knowledge in this area (laughs) just I I feel like I'm still scratching the surface because it is such a big um complex multifaceted um thing in in dance in particular um but you know in life in general talent and unpacking it and unpacking how we develop it is is very complex um but when we look at dance there's so many facets that make up whether or not you would consider someone to be talented um from not just the physical um things like flexibility or strength um but through to the um you know mental side of things so the psychological Mm. side of things um passion motivation 
Um, the ability to relax is one that's come up oh. a few times. Um, perfectionism, that we want like a little bit of perfectionism, but not too much. Um, <laughs> And then, then you look further away from the the athlete, so to speak. So you're looking then at like the environment that the athlete or the dancer is in, and things like um, their peers, their coaches, their um, uh, the environment, like the motivational climate of the studio. Is it one that encourages growth, or is it a fixed mindset type space? Um, and then you look further again, and there's things like system factors. So that's like funding or um, uh, availability of positions in companies and things like that and then even further than that is like things like chance factors so um, right is COVID gonna shut down your production and that was your big break or did the lead person in the nutcracker break an ankle and you got to step into mm. the role or mm. um, chance factors are actually quite a big deal in um in dance um so yeah it's very very um very very complex um and it's hard to kind of um get a lot of empirical data on talent development in dance um so that's what i'm hoping to do with um that's what i tried to do with my masters which was in in talent development in ballet dancers and now i'm doing a phd looking at early specialization in ballet dancers so it just like i was listening to you there and it just blows my mind i'm a a complete self-confessed nerd so you know when you open the door like when you kind of stepped through that I was like oh I'm interested in that oh I'm interested and you kept talking and I was like oh that sounds fascinating too do you have that problem about like with this subject because I know you know well obviously you've done your master's and now you're doing a PhD maybe I just answered that question (laughs) when do you stop but you know do you just find there's more and more and more so much and it's it's kind of similar in the way to um uh, learning about like the um, anatomy, like when you're a ballet teacher, yeah, and you kind of scratch the surface a bit, and you're like, "Oh, this is so interesting," but there's so much more I don't know. Yes. Um. So I, the, I liken the two of them. Um. They're very similar. So the more I learn about um talent development, the more I feel like I don't know. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, that's um, so true. I'm the same. Even with with teaching um, children and and particularly teens, I love love learning about my teens and I'm like, oof, oof, if I just knew all of this. But it, there's a process, isn't there? And, and yes, of course, there's always going to be more to learn and as long as we keep being open to yes. learning. I, I have noticed, so here's a little, um, I don't know, confession. <laughs> um, like I'm not old, I'm 42, I don't consider that old, but I have noticed in the last couple of years that I have been less open-minded about things, like, and I think, and that's a red flag for me, Caitlin, like I'm really like, ooh, 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 no, watch that, you know, and I, the self-talk is kind of like, yeah, but would that work? Because I've always done it like this and I'm very much comfortable with this. So I like the fact that there is research like yours that keeps asking the questions, keeps pushing us out of our discomfort, uh, sorry, into discomfort, out of our comfort zones. One of them, which I, when you just spoke then, the ability to relax. Can we unpack that a little? <laughs> it's, I will confess, it's not one that is my um, strongest area of, of research, but um, there was a, a literature review done, I think, back in 2010, 
um, by some fairly prominent authors in the UK. And one of the things that stood out to me was um, when they were going through and sort of talking about what kind of facets make up talent in dance. Um, and one of them was the the ability to relax. And for me, that kind of ties in with um, the early specialization framework, which is what I'm kind of studying, mm. not kind of studying, I am studying, <laughs> um, is, is having that ability to be able to switch off from dance and take a little break from dance, whether that's not dancing on a Sunday or mm. having one day during the week that's less full on or um you know, in terms of elite dancers here, I'm talking. Yes, of course. Um, Or taking a break over school holidays and not doing 17 summer schools back-to-back. Yeah. Um, So having that capacity to be able to relax is probably going to potentially stop um, burnout. Mm. Um, And uh, that's what the argument is anyway, is that if you you can't relax, you're going to get to a point where your body will make you relax. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as dance studio owners, the same can be said. You know, I know this is that your study focuses on on dancers and and ballerinas in um but yes we can all learn from this <laughs> for sure for sure yeah mm. and another thing that you said you know was about um the emotional climate of the studio um that you know dance studios I don't know about you, but often when people, I meet them for the first time and they, we get chatting and what do you do? Oh, you know, I often say I'm a ballet teacher, right? Because sometimes it's just too complicated. Yeah, way too hard to explain. <laughs> How long have you got, buddy? You know, because, you know, accountants can just say, oh, I'm an accountant. <laughs> We're like, oh, um, I don't know, I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. So when I say to people, oh, I'm a dance teacher, you know, often they're like, oh, well, I did dance, but I quit because, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so let's talk about the emotional climate of the studio. What factors have you found? Like what is present in a studio that um, is conducive to, to really encouraging and empowering students to, I guess, that reach their pinnacle? Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, this is kind of slightly adjacent to um, my area of study. Yeah. Um, but it is um, an important factor. Um, so the motivational climate of the studio um, can be one where um, they call it like ego involving or task um, involving. Oh. Um, and so you might have to look up the definitions of those um, specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get them wrong. Uh, but generally, is it's looking at things like um, praising the effort put into yes. something rather than just the ability is more the ideal. So Love it. Um, you don't just want to always um, encourage or be um, saying, yes, good job to the kids who can naturally do the big grand jeté. You mm. want to be saying, I really liked how you... Um, you know, use the grand batmon motion of your leg mm. at the start of that jeté to the kid that is trying really hard. Yeah. So um, it kind of taps into that growth mindset or fixed mindset mm. kind of area as well. There's um, so many overlaps, aren't there, when you get absolutely. going. You're like, oh, that, and that that references somebody else's research and that references somebody else's research. Uh, it's like massive big spider webs. And because, um, you know, big projects that happened in the UK where they were looking at talent, they found that most of those things that we attribute to talented dancers are actually able to be improved on. So things like turnout and um, flexibility and muscular strength are all able to be improved. Um, So 
sometimes yes. when you think about oh this is she's the most talented dancer in the room well she or he may not be forever mm. um because talent's not necessarily fixed physically mm. um or psychologically either so um yeah it's yeah very very complex yeah my um, PhD this time is, is this time. I say it like I'm going to do it again. I'm definitely not. not um, one time only. Um, so I'm looking at um, early specialization, which is a, um, a pathway, so a training pathway model, um, which kind of taps into the uh, 10,000 hours. Theory. Right, of mastery, yep. Yep, so the deliberate practice theory um, that it, uh, you know, in theory, like if you think of um, in theory, like the more hours you do, the better you're going to become. Um, but the relationship may not be linear, basically. Mm. Um, so, and there's a lot of research in sport looking at this and a lot of um, debate about how early is too early, how much is too much. Um, and that, you know, obviously for all different sports, it's going to be very different, um, for things like centimeters, grams and second sports. So like weightlifting and things like that. Um, there's not a huge correlation with starting early versus achieving success later. Yeah. Um, and, um, there's a lot of potential dangers with, with starting Mm. very early from things like injury through to psychological burnout, um, or even, um, something that they call, um, premature identity foreclosure. So that if you are a dancer as a 14 year old and you can no longer dance, what are you? What Um, are you? Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot to unpack just in that, um, space, which is where I'm kind of hoping to get some um, empirical data. So we, we all know that we've got friends that didn't start dancing until they were 14 and then they went off and yes, the country or whatever. Uh, and we know friends that were the best dancer in the class and they stopped at 12 because they didn't like it anymore and, and that kind of thing. So trying to get empirical data is where, um, is where you know, academic research happens and where um, I'm hoping to get something that we can then use to influence, um, hopefully, um uh companies and training and and ourselves as well as um as dance studio owners to help inform us to make decisions about our businesses about okay if we are offering classes offering yeah what you know what are we promoting that um is the benefit of that because it's certainly not that your two-year-old is needs to start out to to become a ballerina on the way to the australian ballet yeah (laughs) fast tracking their pathway to principal dancer fascinating i do have to say it's not to say that specialization isn't necessary because sure is and because ballet is a really highly technical pursuit so specialization is going to be necessary Mm. but at what point and then how do we allocate resources for that so if you're running a um a high level training institution should you be trying to attract people from other sports or other dance genres because they will come from um, they will have a different variety of skills that can then transfer into the ballet domain so they call it an affordance landscape everything um, so, has a fancy name i know it? i know this is why <laughs> academics is really fun and you feel like you're really smart because you can say all these big words um so the affordance landscape is um so say uh there was a study done proposing that training in parkour which is like an yes sport you know running and jumping from rocks and boulders or whatever yeah it looks um, crazy which 
would have an influence, potentially influence on um, team sports because it's going to improve how an athlete can cross the um, the field basically because their, their skills will be more impressive in their footwork and things like that. So mm. you could argue that, say, for dancers, maybe, um, you know, studying something like hip hop yeah. might help their musicality in ballet because in yeah. hip-hop you're listening for the accents in the music, you're getting down into the floor, you're using your quad muscles perhaps in a different way mm. and then it's encouraging you to get deeper into the floor in your plies or whatever. whatever. You can Yeah, yeah, transfer the skills. Yeah, Absolutely, fascinating. as we often do. So, um, yeah, so there's lots and lots to unpack just in terms of those um, sorts of things without even touching on a dancer's physicality or their mental state or anything like oh. that. Oh my gosh. Oh, better you than me. But you're doing all of this with, uh, you have a four-year-old and what, like four months, not even, hold on. Three three months old at the moment. Three months old. So you have two children, Millie and Cliffy. Um, How's that all going for you? Because this is the question, you know, we just chatted before and I said, this is the question I get asked a lot. How do we how do we do this thing called motherhood as well as be a dance studio owner? So just how's that going today anyway? <laughs> Look, today's good. Mm. Um, not every day is great. Mm. Some days are amazing. Um, it's a real roller coaster of all sorts of emotions. Um, I've really built up my team over the past. So I've owned my studio. I think this is our ninth birthday coming wow. up in July. So not... Not too long, but but long enough that but we've mature. Done, I'd call that everything mature, a few yes. times over now. So, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I've built up my team. So um, generally, people stay with us quite a while, which is great. So they mm. know how things go. I have um, three of my team who I call my leadership team. Yeah, and they are mostly in charge of the day to day bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, I have a secret email that nobody has my email address. None of my none of my students have my email address or parents. Yeah. I have a secret phone number. Nobody's got that phone number. <laughs> um, so I'm very much one step removed. From, yes, perfect. Um, the day-to-day operations. From the business compared to when I started, when I taught mm. every class, mm-hmm. I answered every phone call, I answered every email. So I have done all the hard yards. Mm. Um, I knew every student, I knew every student's parents. I don't quite so much anymore because I'm not at the studio no. all that much. Yep. Um, but I, I float in and out and I have I have a small teaching load at the moment as well. So I have um, four or five classes that I'm teaching every week. Um, but what that does is it does allow me to step back and focus on bigger picture things yep. um, and to give those the, um, the time and space that they deserve as well. Um, and it does allow me to have a bit of freedom to come up with like, hey, how about if we did this this way instead of this? Because I've got the space. I've got the mental space. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. I have, um, there's three wonderful women in my leadership team at the moment. Um, one is kind of uh, more admin accounting. One is my um, assistant director who is very much teaching and staff focused. And she also writes a lot of our programs, our preschool program, our prep jazz and tap and our prep ballet programs um, yeah. because the rest of the time we operate with syllabus um, for ballet, jazz and tap. Um, and then um, she also runs our dance step student teacher program. So she's in charge of um, managing that. Mm. And then I also have a um, customer service and events manager. 
um, or coordinator as well. So things like um, our musical and um, any like holiday workshops and things like that she's in charge of. It also encapsulates our marketing and um, our um, customer experience. So how the space looks and cleaners and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So the building is kind of her her jam as well. So they're, they're three mm-hmm. quite different roles um, that are tailored to those three beautiful women and their strengths as That's well. so helpful. I think, you know, for people listening, thinking about making this transition, um, because it is a transition, I, like you, started off doing everything and that's where it can get tricky is we just keep adding things to our plate. You know, it's like the smorgasbord at the restaurant. We just keep adding things to our plate and then we sit down and look and think, I don't actually know where to start and also all of this together doesn't look that good. <laughs> um, so just handing off some of those things. But the way you have separated, like for people listening to that, that would give some really good inside information as to maybe how they could separate those roles um, if they're they're planning on starting a family or or yeah. even just trying to to do other things that's that's really helpful and Millie dances so you're also a dance mum so that's lovely yes she she did her first competition the other day it was very full circle moment Um, (laughs) but yeah she she really enjoys dancing if she didn't enjoy it I wouldn't push the point um yeah she she really enjoys it and um uh is pretty good at it so that's, that's nice Yep, um, and, and while she's having fun, then all is well, right? That's it. That's it. If she um, doesn't want to do it anymore, then that's yeah. fine. Um, so, yeah, so that's been a different experience as well is coming to things from um, a parent's side of view mm-hmm. as well of going, okay, how, how will I experience this competition? Knowing that my obviously mental load is much bigger than a usual dance parent going yes. to a competition because I'm worried about all the of them, kids and the mm. team, not the one. Um, but, um, yeah, going, okay, how do we best provide this information for everyone? I'm a parent, you know, with my phone in my hand, what's the best way for me to access it? All that kind of stuff. Um, it does give a really unique insight. So, um, with the, the extra work of the, um, becoming a parent, you do get a lot more insight into, oh, it'll just be easier if we just buy everybody a pair of tights and give and it to put them in the bag. Costume yes. Because then they don't have to go and find a pair of tights or come into the studio and buy or get them. the wrong ones or yeah, come in. And do you yeah. think that your studio has benefited from, from you having a family, like from you, I guess what, what having Millie and, and now um, Cliffy has done is forced you to reevaluate your role. And I guess, change the structure a little bit of your organization do you think that that has been a positive for not not necessarily you so much but as the the business unit yeah I think um getting out of my own way is um, is sometimes a big thing um and not being the bottleneck yeah (laughs) are you looking at me (laughs) (laughs) Mm. um because you know it was um even up until last year um you know, it was up to me if the toilet paper got ordered or not, mm. um, and why. Like, yeah, you're matter. not. A, you don't have a special. You don't have a special skill set for ordering toilet paper. Absolutely. So we did um, need a special skill set during COVID to get toilet paper, though, didn't we? We, we, we took out toilet, like we usually have it stacked up in the toilets, and we took it out of the toilet. Yes. Like, no, you I will not have that. None of it. Um, yes. 
Um, I think too, because we've been through a few different iterations of what our leadership team looks like. So um, it's not like automatically one day I said to my assistant director, you know, oh, so you teach for me one day a week. Can you now be assistant director? You know, she and I have worked together for a very long time. We know each other very well. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So um, she's been able to take on more and more um, in baby steps. Mm. Um, and we've been able to evolve her role over um, a number of years. And then, you know, having a team to be able to rely on um, means that sometimes I can throw some stuff out into the ether like, oh, I forgot to do blah, blah. And then I know there's three ladies that are going to go, that's cool. I've got capacity. I can do that. Yeah. Whatever. So I feel like a lot less falls through the cracks. Yeah. Um, because I would start to say no to things because I don't have capacity to take on anymore. Whereas shared amongst a team of, of mm. three or four, um, mm. you know, then, or, or then even being able to delegate beyond that and go, oh, this would be really great if we could do this, but we don't have anyone who can, you know, amongst us, we're all kind of our capacity oh blah blah said she wanted some more hours great Mm. you do this so um that's been really great as well one thing that i've offloaded this year that's been an absolute godsend is organizing relief teaching Um, my my poor assistant director has had to do such a poo of a job (laughs) (laughs) but oh my goodness the difference in my mental state is ridiculous because i'm not constantly thinking oh did i remember that you know, Susie's taking Sally it's a lot Saturday or mm. all that kind of stuff. So um, having delegated that and paying her well to be able to to take on that load is yeah. is good. But it also frees me up too to be like, well, actually, I, I'm free. I can jump in. Mm. Um, not so much with a 12-week-old baby. But, no, not at um, the moment. You know, but going forward um, as, as he's a bit more pliable, um, you know, being able to go, oh, yeah, I can jump in and do that because... Mm. I'm not completely overwhelmed with all the other stuff. All of the noise, all of the noise. You know, I just, I'm just going to loop back to when you said the word evolve. I want to really kind of just pick up on that. Um, That, you know, like you've evolved into these roles for for these ladies. So for people listening, if they are trying to make this transition, that would be my advice too, is to follow your lead there. It's not just one day it's A and the next day it's B. It's like you do have to plan for this and and get people slowly up to speed and, and, you know, you don't want to overwhelm them, but you also want to see how they, they cope with different levels of responsibility. Some sink, you know, some you can have... I have this weakness and it is definitely a weakness and it has a little bit of strength, but mostly it's a weakness in that I can see potential in everyone. But unfortunately, sometimes I've run into the trouble where people cannot see that potential in themselves. So it doesn't actually matter what I can see in them. And so your process of kind of gently, gently, is, is probably the way to go, right? Because you can go, oh, this is how far we can get. And then they kind of drop the bundle. So this is this is the max responsibility. So that's probably not my two I see there, but that might be, you know, a different role. Kind of testing people out, I think it's really, really wise. You mentioned Kate. I know she's your, your right-hand girl, yes. Kate and Caitlin, the dynamic duo at Bayside Dance. And I've been chatting with Kate recently because you are a dance step school ah. um, and have been have been for a while. So that's the, the dance student teacher education program that I've authored. Can you tell me a little bit about, I guess, what you've found for your students that are going through that program? How, you know, what, what things you've noticed about them or that they've mentioned 
to you that they've enjoyed, assuming that they have? <laughs> they um, really love it. Um, and the probably the greatest thing to come out of it is that I now have a number of um, students who have become assistant teachers or are then graduating to to having their own classes and being you know fully fledged teachers mm. um, and are pursuing certificate threes and certificate fours and things like that in dance and dance teaching. So um, I think when um, young adults are given responsibility, they really thrive on it. Um, and we found that by, by doing that, by giving them that responsibility that, well, it's your job to help mark the role, or it's your job to, um, take this warm up, or it's your job to manage that student who's joining in via Zoom today or, or whatever the, the role may be. Um, they really, really thrive on that responsibility and they understand so much more about the dance class, mm. um, and are really able to take a lot more back to their own dancing um, as well. So we often find that they're picking up on corrections given to their little level one ballet students and are putting that into their own, you know, maybe yes. ballet work as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really wonderful. Our, um, our students that um, are going on to do all sorts of different things, you have know, got quite a big cohort of grade 11 and 12s at the moment, um, and they've all got jobs and they've all listed Dance Step as, as a, um, you know, a thing that's made them to be able to be really responsible in their workplaces and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really great. And it's great to see that um, sense of leadership starting to develop from a young age as well. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's um it's wonderful. And I mean such a, a godsend during all our COVID bits and pieces to know that um we've trained up this group of student teachers really well that in an absolute emergency they can turn yeah. up and help deliver a class. Literally so step we, up. Yeah. yeah. We've often had our, our older student teachers um be present in the classroom and the more experienced teacher who's stuck at home with COVID is online mm. uh, watching and giving corrections and they're, they're helping facilitate. So obviously with our reception team, you know, downstairs and of course, uh, yes, being around and all the things, they're not there by themselves at all. But um, that's been absolutely um, mm. incredible during such a time of, um, uh, you know, uncertainty. Uncertainty, yeah. That's That's been... Um, a quite a familiar thread that's come through in terms of feedback from from our partner studios is that at the moment you know with with so much absenteeism from teachers and things like that just to have um that backup mm. has has taken some of the the load off and i i've experienced it firsthand so um i had to go in and relief teacher class now i was definitely the teacher in class but it was a genre outside my expertise and to have a, this little two i see there who knew all the kids names you know as they walked in the door because i'm like you i don't anymore know all the kids names because I don't know all the kids um you know that hi hi Sophie hi Lucy I only need to hear a name once and I've got it so I was like oh you were doing me the biggest favor I just didn't feel like I was flying blind you know I really I felt supported by this 12 year old <laughs> bless them and actually when you were talking again then about like the succession plan it it took me back to our our other conversation about evolving the roles it's kind of it is a bit like you know they start off 
really not adding a huge amount of value to the studio if we're being honest we're we're teaching them mm. but then slowly they evolve and you turn around one day and you're like you actually know quite a lot of stuff now <laughs> and i it's such a um an interesting thing when they start to parrot back the way that you have taught things and you're like that could have come out of my mouth yes that's a bit scary, isn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, I love it. No, I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm so pleased that it has been a positive experience for, for your Bayside students and, and obviously for the studio as well. Um, but thank you. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed, we could have, I tell you what, I could have listened to you talk about talent development for so long there, but um, I do know that a short podcast is a good one. <laughs> so we we can do a follow-up perhaps when you've finished your PhD. <laughs> Maybe when I've got some data to uh, Yes, it's all about the data. Okay, we'll, we'll <laughs> do that. And, um, you know, I'm so, we, you and I chat often and so I've been, I feel really lucky watching watching your studio. We'll, we'll use Evolve because we've been using that, um, but certainly as your family has grown, it's been really exciting to just watch you, watch you do that and morph into all of these different roles. So thank you for sharing some of that experience. I know that for people considering this or finding themselves right, you know, sitting, listening with their 12-week-old baby, that, that, that would have been helpful. I'm glad. Excellent. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you, Jane. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Dance Step, the leading done-for-you student teacher education program for dance studios. If you've been thinking of implementing a program in your studio, just like Caitlin did, but don't have the time, then Dance Step has done all the heavy lifting for you. Check out the website, dancestep.com.au and request an information pack via the contact page and let's start the conversation. Thanks for joining me at The Bar. To find out more about past episodes or how I can help you grow your own leadership or train student teachers, head to dancestep.com.au. Great leaders create leaders and I'm here to help you be and do both. And please remember to rate and review me on your podcast player of choice. See you next time at The Bar. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 